0: We're thankful, especially through this COVID season of not being able to meet together, uh, that we have been so capably led in music by our music team. Uh, I truly am appreciative for what you've done. And your song selections this week are just perfect. Um, I'm the only one who knows what's supposed to be said in the sermon in the next 30 minutes, but we've sung it already more than once in these songs. Uh, but beautifully led and beautifully sung. So I know the church family as a whole feels as I do, and we thank you all for that. But more than pretty music, more than good instruments, more than good voices, we're singing true things. And that's what makes what we're doing together so profitable. Uh, We are taking truth and and having it put to song, which just is helpful for sinners living in a sinful world, that we can be reminded uh, of truth in song. And I would encourage everyone who knows what Spotify is, and I know that not all listening do, but if if you are on Spotify, if you have Spotify, um, I would always encourage my students at Erskine, to um, either make a list or I'll make a list and post it of some of these hymns that we're hearing the backstories on and make it a part of what you walk to or clean the house to or drive to Walmart and listen to. Take these hymns and these truths into the rest of the week by making them a part of what you listen to. And uh, I have found that to be an extremely helpful practice in my own life, and my students have too. Um, If you know what Spotify is, redeem it and use it, and make it profitable in your work week. So we're doing this series on hymns, talking about how the gospel and its truth is something worth singing about. And our talk this morning is a talk that's near and dear to my heart. Uh, as we will talk about covenant love, the love that will not let us go. And th- this morning, uh, at least for me, this, this, is a, this is a theme throughout Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. It is the red thread that runs throughout the Bible where God has revealed His nature, the kind of love that He has that characterizes Him, And it is the most beautiful thing that is revealed to us in Scripture. It is the good news. It is the gospel that God does not treat us as our sins deserve, but there's something about Him that shows mercy and faithfulness and kindness to a people who don't deserve it. And so this morning, Covenant Love and the hymn by George Matheson, O Love That Will Not Let Me Go, is what we will highlight at the end that captures these truths all together. But I want to begin with a quote from George Matheson who we're going to hear about in the sermon. And uh, as I read it you're going to think, hey is he talking about mothers on Mother's Day? Is this a quote about mothers? Listen to what he says. There is an eye that never sleeps. There's an ear that never shuts. There is an arm that never tires, and there is a love that never fails. It almost could be about our mothers on Mother's Day. It's not what George Matheson is saying. He is actually talking about the love of God and the nature of God's love. And our passage for this is from Ephesians chapter 3, uh, verses 17b through 19. So give your attention to God's word. And we will pray that God will use this for our good. Ephesians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul says, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. The Apostle Paul wants us to grasp something that he says cannot be grasped, to know something that can't be fully known. He wants us to marvel at the large love of God, Let's pray that we might do that together this morning. Let's pray. Lord, would you open our ears and our eyes and our hearts and our minds, whether we're young or old, to see the love of God as it's offered to us in Scripture. Or maybe to see it again, to be refreshed by it, to be renewed by it. Some Lord, are tired and bored in their Christian life. Pray that this morning you might kindle the fire of our hearts and warm us, that we might see the beauty of what you've done and who you are. And we ask this, and we pray it together in Jesus' name. Amen. So a few years ago, a story in the news caught my attention, and it was the story of a dog. A dog in Brazil, and I'll just read from the article what it says. See if you agree or if you disagree. It's long been said that dogs are a man's best friend due to their unwavering loyalty. And one dog in Brazil is proving that his friendship is forever. More than four months ago, after his owner was rushed to the hospital in Sao Paulo, Brazil, an unnamed dog continues to wait outside of the hospital for his owner to return. The dog's owner, a 59-year-old homeless man, was fatally stabbed in a local park. And the newspaper reported that the dog rushed to the hospital, and has been waiting outside of its entrance for four months for its owner to come back out of the hospital. We hear stories like that, and and the story goes on and says uh, that some people actually took the dog and took it to a kennel. The dog escaped, and where did it go? Back to the hospital. We hear stories like this, and there's something about it that we just like we we like loyalty we love a good story of faithfulness and love and 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 you can find these stories about dogs in the paper you'll never find a story like this about a cat in the paper right there's something about dogs that model loyalty Uh, when i was reading this i actually stumbled upon another story that somehow i had never heard of and probably some of you had because this week I found out there was a child's cartoon or a movie actually made about it. And it's about Hashiko, the Japanese dog, very similar story, whose owner uh, died. And they had the habit of meeting at the train station every day that the owner came home from work. And the dog showed up every day for nine years the train station. And the Japanese eventually built a little statue of Hashiko, the Akita dog uh, in honor of it. And uh, we love stories like this. I love stories like this. Stories of loyalty, stories of love, stories of faithfulness. And I think you like those stories too. And I think we all like those kinds of stories. And I think stories of betrayal, and abandonment anger us. They disappoint us profoundly. I think that's universal. Something about the human being loves, appreciates, and is drawn towards faithfulness. And we understand that abandonment and unfaithfulness, it's, it's wrong. Now, why would that be? Why would that be universal to us all? It's because we're created in the image of God. And we are longing for the kind of love that we'll see in Scripture is the only kind of love that God can provide for us. I have three simple points for us this morning, but a lot of quotes, a lot of content, and I don't want to lose you in this. There's just a lot of of rich beauty on this subject of God's love. And our first point is this. Scripture is history and evidence of god's holy love for his people and it seems like an obvious point as i preach to the church family tonight but i've learned that oftentimes it's the obvious thing that actually needs to be said pointedly and clearly you know we are a church that believes the bible we really do have confidence in the scriptures that they are given to us of god and they record for us the history of who we are, where we've come from, and most importantly, who God is and how He is known and how He is to be known. And so the Scriptures, if we want to understand God and the love of God and who we are, we have to look to the Scriptures. And the Scriptures are that history and evidence. They tell us of a long history of God's faithful love to an unfaithful people. Now, what we're going to hear mostly about this morning is how that love is described with many different words in the Bible. In the Old Testament, in Hebrew, in Aramaic, in the New Testament, in Greek. But there is this one particular word that I have learned that is embedded in my understanding of the beauty of God's love. And that is that Hebrew word hesed. And that's what it looks like in Hebrew. But we transliterate it in English, it it would be said hesed. And that word is filled with beauty. That word is actually really hard for us in English to translate simply. So oftentimes in our English Bible, it'll be translated as love or sometimes frequently mercy, sometimes kindness. And what I found, and of course, my seminary professors through the years are the ones who taught me this and impressed this upon me, But really, it's kind of like trying to define your mother on Mother's Day. Um, You know, your mother, she is the one who went to the hospital and birthed you. But that's not an adequate definition of your mother. Your mother is so much more than that. Your mother is the one who is constantly there, constantly loving, providing, feeding, caring, cleaning doing all the things. She was the the kisser of your boo-boos when you fell and got hurt. She was the compassionate word. She was the correcting word. She was the rebuking presence. So your mother can't simply be defined as, well, the one who went to the hospital and gave birth to me. That's an inadequate definition, though it's true. And so it is with the word hesed. You can translate it as love. But there is so much more beauty and wonder to how God has revealed and communicated Himself to us. So, two things to begin to help us try to unpack and see the beauty of what God has done here. In my own terms, piecing together multiple uh, concepts of the word that I've learned through the years, I would put it together like this Hesed is a loyal love that's rich in mercy and loving-kindness. It's persistent and consistent. It's tender-hearted and long-suffering. And it is determined to be loyal and faithful. It is covenant-keeping love. And it is the love that will not let us go. So it's love Oh, but it's a rich and deep and beautiful love. One of my seminary professors who helped me to understand this concept and who impressed so much on me about this subject and really caused me to love it is the late Dr. Gerard van Groningen. And I found a quote of his on this this week in in my study. He says this about hesed. He says, The Hebrew term hesed refers to Yahweh, Old Testament covenant Lord, New Testament covenant Lord, Yahweh's faithfully loving and upholding His covenant people and in showing mercy and kindness when His people are in distress and grief. Chastisement, correction, when it's present, is always tempered by fatherly love, mercy, and compassion. And he says it so well from all those different facets of meaning and wonder of the Word. It's always there. It's always faithful. It's always tender. It's always true. And that is how God has communicated His love for His people. We see it in the Old Testament with Adam and Noah and Abraham and Moses and David. We see it in the New Testament with Peter, James, John, Paul. You look at episode after episode after episode in the Scriptures that God has given us. And God is always there, always faithful, always present, telling His people, do not be afraid, do not be terrified. I am with you. Be strong and courageous. That's the nature of the God that we serve. Hesed love, covenant love, is relentless. It's enduring, loyal love. It's also unrequited, which is a bit of an archaic term for us, uh, but it's unreciprocated. We don't offer it back the way that it's offered to us. And anybody who's ever been in a relationship of any kind, whether it's romantic or friendship, is there anything more painful than unrequited love, non-reciprocated love, when you love or like someone in one way and they don't love you or like you back in the same? They just want to be friends, right? That's the sting and the pain of unrequited love. And God's love, this hesed love that He has shown us so fully and so freely, It's unrequited back. It's not reciprocated back. We have not loved Him in the way that He's loved us. And in order to understand the love of God and to appreciate it, you have to admit that. You have to confess that. That the Lord has loved me so, and I've been half-hearted towards Him. That's the other half of that message of Scripture that runs from Old Testament through the New. God's shown this abundant love for His people, and we are at best half hearted in our response back to him. Another quote from Norman Smith, a theologian uh, from the late 1800s, really the 1900s. He says this about that Hesed love God's loving kindness, his Hesed, is that sure love which will not let Israel go. Not all Israel's persistent waywardness could ever destroy it. Though Israel be faithless, yet God remains faithful still. This steady, persistent refusal of God to wash His hands of wayward Israel is the essential meaning of Hesed, And so I hope you see it over and over said the same or said, said similarly but different each way by all these different authors. And, and the writers of Scripture are doing the same thing. They are saying that this is an amazing love of God that you just can't get your arms around. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying in his own way in the passage from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 to 19. He says in his own way, he says, I want you to know this love of God how wide it is, how long it is, how high it is, how deep it is. This love of God is a love that you just can't get your arms around. It's bigger than you know. Some of you know that this week we moved all the furniture out of our house and off of our floors. And I thought about what the Apostle Paul was saying here in Ephesians 3 as I was trying to move this big chest of drawers how do you get your arms around this thing it's like hugging a refrigerator you can't one person can't do this and that's what the apostle paul is saying about the love of god it is so high so wide so long so deep and that's my question for you have you marveled over the love of god in that kind of way that's been set before us this morning have you marveled over it Or does a part of you just kind of think, ah, that's what God does. He's in the business of loving people like that and I'm not that hard to love, so He loves me. You know, a lot of us act that way. We act as if that's how this is. But we should marvel over this unimaginable love that God has shown us. The hymn that we just sang uh, just earlier today, Isaac Watts' hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, that last line of that hymn is hitting at the same point. He says, a love this amazing, a love so amazing, demands my soul, my life, and my all, which is to say it would be wrong to give him anything less than everything when you begin to see the profound love that God has given His people. Amen. Scripture is history and evidence of God's holy love for His people, and we should be overwhelmed by it. Number two, second point. Our human love, our sinful love, is a distorted misrepresentation of God's love which is to say it pales in comparison. It is just a tiny sliver of a fraction of the kind of love that God has shown us. I refer to this quite simply and in the simplest terms. Our love, our human love, is itty-bitty. It's small love. Uh, that's really, that uh, should be your own view of yourself and, and how you love people. It's an itty-bitty love. The prophet Hosea, Hosea chapter 6, verse 4, which I don't have a slide for you on this. I just preached through Hosea this semester at Erskine as I finished matters there. But in chapter 6, verse 4, Hosea the prophet is chastising Israel, the people of God, and says, your love is like the morning mist. It's like the dew on the grass. And we hear that and we're like, well, what does that mean? Well, you know, you come out early in the morning and the grass is a little bit wet. But as soon as the sun rises and the heat of the day begins to burn, it's gone. And, and God says, Israel's love is like that. It's there just a little itty bit. But as soon as the sun rises and noonday sun comes, your love is like the morning mist. It disappears. And that's God saying that to His people. He's saying, I've loved you profoundly, and you give me this misty love. Just this little faint little mist. It's there one minute, but soon it's gone. And that's the indictment that not only Hosea has for Israel, but that Scripture has for us. Can you admit that you have an itty-bitty love? The second thing that's true about our human love and how it is a distorted misrepresentation of God's love is that it's willy-nilly love. It's itty-bitty. It's willy-nilly. Well, what I mean by willy-nilly? Actually, if you look it up in the dictionary, I think you'll find that willy-nilly means without direction or purpose. It's just willy-nilly. It's, it's aimless. It's not significant. I'm reminded of uh, Alfalfa and the little rascals that I used to watch as a little kid where Alfalfa, who was so in love with, with Darla, I think her name was, would pick at the flower and he's like she loves me she loves me not she loves me she loves me not and hoping to just end with a she loves me it's a willy nilly love she loves me she doesn't love me and that's the nature of human love that's the nature of the human heart we're on and we're off we're hot and we're cold and your friendships may give you evidence of that your family relationships might give you evidence of that. Your romantic relationships could give you evidence of that. You and I could be kind and soft at one moment and harsh and mean on the next. We're willy-nilly and itty-bitty in our love. But God has shown us something that should profoundly move us. When we see human love and we experience the hurt, the disappointment, and the failure of human love, it should create in us a longing for something more the way that love should be how faithfulness should be in our culture i would say it knows this it just can't quite put it into terms it our culture our people are longing for this loyalty they're longing for this kind of love this love of god as it's revealed in scripture And as evidence of that, I would say, listen to the music of our culture. Listen to what our music is longing for, the kind of love that it's longing for, the kind of relationship, the kind of families, the kind of friendships. Listen to the pain in our culture's music. Listen to the the hope in the wrong kinds of things that you know are itty-bitty loves and willy-nilly loves. And our culture, not just our music, watch our culture's movies. Listen to the theme that tends to be in all of our movies. There is this longing for a deep and abiding and faithful love. And there's an acknowledgement that anything less than that, a love that abandons, a love that fails, it's just wrong. Humanly we know that and our culture knows that. I saw it just this week. I saw one movie and was reminded of another. We watched Braveheart, a few of us, watched Braveheart this week in my family. It's a story of covenant love. It's a story of faithfulness to the end. It's a story of loving a bride and fighting for a country and fighting for freedom. It's a story of Hesed. It's a story of loyal love. And then another movie that I thought of that I'm embarrassed to mention, but I will... And hardly, maybe some of you have seen it, but it's the movie with Adam Sandler, The Wedding Singer. Which, it's not a movie um, I'm recommending that you see, but if you've seen it, it is the story of a wedding singer who had a girl fall in love with him because he was going to become a rock star. And once it proved that he would never be anything but a wedding singer, on the day of their wedding, she breaks up with him. Leaves him at the altar all alone. And what does she say to him? She says, his name was Robbie Hart in the movie. She says, I was in love with Robbie when he was going to be a rock star. I'm not in love with Robbie the Wedding Singer. And if that's all you're going to be, I'm moving on. And so the reason I would use it as an illustration is because every Adam Sandler movie has a song in it. And the song at the end of the movie, when Adam Sandler finally finds that covenant love, that Hesed kind of love that he's longing for, this is the song that he sings to her. And I don't have it for our slide, but you can hear this. Singing to this girl who would be faithful to him, he says, in Adam Sandler way, I want to make you smile whenever you're sad. Carry you around when your arthritis is bad. All I want to do is grow old with you. I'll get your medicine when your tummy aches. I'll build you a fire when your furnace breaks. Oh, it would be so nice to grow old with you. And as silly a movie and simple a movie it is, that's Hesed love that I want to grow old with you, meaning I want to be faithful. I want to remain with you. I want to serve you. I want to carry you. I want to provide for you. And we watch the movie and we laugh, but then it has this sweet ending to it. And why does it resonate with people? Because it's tested love. And everybody knows that's the only kind of love, a love that lasts, a love that is faithful to the end. Our culture gives us evidence every day that they are longing for Hesed, but they're looking for it in all the wrong places. And maybe you're looking for it in all the wrong places. But this morning we're reminded that that love is found in one person. It's found in one place. It's found in God Himself, who has offered Himself to us in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. There was a man who came to know this lesson well, and he's the writer of our hymn. Uh, his name is George Matheson. And our third and final point of the sermon is that the gospel and George Matheson teach us much about the love that does not let us go. It teaches us much about Hesed. So, the story of George Matheson you need to understand George Matheson to understand the beauty of Hesed love in his. It's still a beautiful hymn if you don't know the story, but it's all the more beautiful if you do. George Matheson grew up in Scotland, and when he was born, he always had a a slight problem with his eyes. But when he was about 15 years old, he went to the doctor, and the doctor told him, you're going to be a blind man. Your eyesight is not going to last. George Matheson was a very gifted man. He was a very smart man. Uh, He went on to study and to prepare for the ministry. Uh, He would fall in love, and he would be engaged to be married. But upon learning that he was really going blind, his eyes were really getting bad now in his life, he told his fiance that it's happening. I'm losing my eyesight. And kind of like the Adam Sandler movie, she said, I don't think I can be married to a blind man. I was in love with you when you were a preacher who could see. And so she left him. She abandoned him. And he would go on and study in the ministry and become a minister. And his eyes would would fail him quickly. He had three sisters, and these were great sisters. These sisters would live with him and tend to him in his studies and in his blindness. And the history that I read on him actually said that his sisters, to help him in his studies and in his blindness, alongside him they learned Hebrew, Greek, and Latin so that they could help him in his studies. He would go on and minister as a blind minister, preaching, Uh, looking at his notes as if he could see them uh, kind of playing the part, which many of us feel like we do sometimes. But his sisters would take turns caring for him. But then one sister got married and left, and then another sister got married and left. And finally he's down to one last sister, and she gets engaged to be married On the evening that she was married, George Matheson went back to his home and he says in five minutes he wrote this hymn, O Love That Will Not Let Me Go. He says, I wasn't really one to put words to paper like this. I didn't really have a gift of writing music or rhyme. He said, it was as if God himself gave me these words. And later we would learn that They really were words that came out of some suffering in his life, some grief, that surely is connected to the fact that he is now a blind man living alone in the dark. Wasn't mad that his sisters got married and left. No, not at all. It was right. But it was a profound sense of being alone and in the dark and realizing that God had been there with him all along. And so in five minutes he composes this beautiful hymn. His hymn reminds us that there are lots of loves in this life and they will all let you go. They are loose, gripped loves. There is but one that will hold you fast to the very end, that cannot fail you. People will die, people will leave you, people will abandon you, people will get bored with you. But there is one love that never leaves us and never forsakes us. And that's what his hymn is about. There is but one who will hold us fast and who will hang on and never fail. Other lines in his hymn that you may appreciate. He says, there is a love that will not let you go. He says that there is a light that follows you all of your way. A reference to Psalm Psalm 119 that God's Word is a light to our path. But you have to understand, this is a blind man in the dark who is writing, writing these words. There is a light that will follow me all my way, he's saying. He says, there's a joy that seeks me in the midst of my pain. And here's a man writing these words in profound pain and loneliness, wondering what does the next day bring for me? I have no one to care for me. He says, there's a joy that's in the midst of that kind of pain. And then lastly he says there's a cross that can lift up your head. When you know this profound hesed love of God, it can lift the saddest soul. It can lift the downcast face. It can lift up your head when you understand this hesed love of God that cannot fail you. When you put your trust and your dependence in that love, it can lift your head. It can lift the saddest of souls. I love this hymn. I love the theme of Hesed because it is the theme of the gospel. It is the theme of Scripture. And the real application, as you hear this sermon this morning, is is for me just to push on you a little bit and say, have you been looking for love in all the wrong places and in all the wrong faces when it's been here for you and offered to you fully and freely? The answer to that question is yes, for all of us. We look to the wrong people, places, and things to provide the the surety of life, the confidence of life. And God has said, it's only here, it's only in me. You see, George Matheson was a blind man who saw things clearly. And this morning the question is, do you and do I see things clearly? This hymn is a sobering moment. It helps us to think very well and very clearly about the gospel and about life. Let's pray that as we sing it, God would use it in that very way. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for this profound marvelous love revealed to us in Scripture, Old Testament and New, that You have loved Your people so well, laying down Your life on the cross and taking it back up again. And Lord, this morning as we sing of the words of a man who had great pain and great sadness, I pray that it would resonate with us in our pain and our sadness, but that You would lift up our heads that we would see what it is to know how wide and long and high and deep is this mysterious love of God. And if we've been looking in the wrong places and looking in the wrong faces, Lord, would you grant us the faith to look no more? We ask this, we pray it together in Jesus' name. Amen.